I've been blessed so far. How about you? If you've been blessed, let me hear you say amen. Amen? amen. Thank you so much, the Corner brothers and sisters. It's been a blessing to have you and privilege to have you here. Um, I, uh, they, they don't have a pastor right now, actually, for the last almost a year, almost a year, about nine months maybe or so, eight months. And um, so they've been um, asking us to cover once in a while if I'm able to go out there and worship with them. And I think I'm coming for Mother's Day again. They got me again for Mother's Day. So we're looking forward to that day. And um, just a blessing I have. And I feel like a real kinship with the Kona Church. I don't know why. I've done my internship there. Maybe that's why. And um, it was such a blessing to be there. It's been about 13, 14 years ago um, I did my internship there at, at Kona Church. So I appreciate them for giving me the opportunity to give a young pastor um, a, a shot, a chance to actually give a start, right? And so I appreciate the Kona Church for that and putting me up for that internship. I invite you to turn me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 12, verse, I'm sorry, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2 in your Bibles. And as the sermon is a different sermon this morning. It's called, God Will Prosper Us. God Will Prosper Us is the title of the sermon this morning. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2. This morning, I would like to share with you a story, a story that takes you back into the time of Nehemiah, who was the king's cupbearer. He held the cup, and if you know anything about the cupbearer in the days of the kings back then, they used to uh, carry the cup, and what happens, the king was so afraid of being poisoned that the king, the cupbearer had to taste the drink first and then give it to the king. Of course, you know why, because if he was tasted and, and fall down dead, you know that there was poison in that drink, right? So they had to trust the cupbearer. So Nehemiah was the trusted cupbearer of the king. He was the most trustworthy person, I guess, within a kingdom that he would trust him um, next to him. So that was, he was the, next to the king as the cupbearer. And Nehemiah had heard rumors that his beloved Jerusalem, whom he loved so much, his heart, the, the, the Jewish church was precious to him, and Jerusalem was precious to, to him, and he heard that through rumors that it had been destroyed, that the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down, and also the gates had been burned up. But it has only been rumors since. But his gut feeling told him that it was true, and it's at this point that this story begins in Nehemiah chapter 1. Let us pray. Father, as the word is open, we humbly ask for a special measure of your Holy Spirit this morning. We know that you have a message for us. We pray that this message may grip our souls as our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2. What was the true condition of the Jewish church at that time? Notice the Bible says. The Bible says that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So he, Nehemiah asked his friends, tell me, how is Jerusalem? How is it like? How are things going over there with my people? And they said unto me, to Nehemiah, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great, what? Affliction. Their suffering and reproach, they're being abused, 
The wall of Jerusalem also is what? Broken down. And the gates thereof are burned with what? Fire. So there the report, the rumors were true, and he said, what? Jerusalem, my beloved, oh, Jerusalem, my beloved Jerusalem is burned down. The, the walls are broken down, and the gates are burned up, according to the report that was given to Nehemiah. Now, how did Nehemiah react to these news? Look at Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down. In other words, I had to sit down. You ever heard some news and say, wait a minute, I need to, I need to sit down for this. It was such a serious situation where Nehemiah said, I got to sit down. Not only that, but the Bible says here that I, I sat down and, what is that word? He cried. He wept. With bitterness of heart and soul, he, he felt the pain and the anguish of his people, for it was still his people. And his people were suffering and going through hardships and hurting at a time, and he had to sit down, and he wept, and he cried, the Bible says. Not only that, the Bible says, he and mourned certain days. He mourned several days, day after day after day. He mourned for his people. And then the Bible says, and he, what else did he do? The Bible says, he what? He prayed. The Bible says, first of all, he what? Fasted and what? Prayed before the God of heaven. In other words, he prayed and he fasted. How many of you have prayed and fasted for something that was deep and close to your heart? I have. And so here it was, he was praying and fasting for what was going on. Jerusalem was a place of worship and it had been destroyed and it had literally crushed out his soul and his heart at that time. Now, why did God allow Israel to be destroyed? Good question, right? Look at what Nehemiah said in his prayer in verse 6 and 7. Know what the Bible says? This is his prayer and he says, Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant. He's talking to God, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against who? Against you. Both I and my father's house have sinned. So in other words, he's saying, we have sinned against you, God. So the reason, it wasn't because God all of a sudden this allowed judgments to come down upon Israel. The main reason why that Israel was destroyed because God's people, God did not neglect to reject his people, but God's people had neglected God's word, beloved. Amen? God did not play favoritism. God loved his people. His heart yearned for his people. He tried to save his people, but his people had become stubborn, and they had separated themselves from God. They had created a wall between God and themselves. And the blessing that God wanted for his people was taken away. Notice what it says here. Verse 7, he goes on, he says, We have dealt very corruptly against you, God, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, where you have commanded your servant Moses. There is very clear. The reason why there was not seen a blessing in the Jewish church in those days was because God's people have neglected to love and obey the God they said they would love and obey. Yes, they profess with their mouths they love God, but their actions did not reveal the love that they said they had in their heart for their God. Can that, can that be true? Can not somebody in a husband and wife say, oh, I love you so much, and then six months later they're having an affair with another person? Does that happen? 
cannot God's people say, God, I love you, and I, oh, I love you, Lord, and they sing it with all their heart, and the next moment they're having an affair with the devil. Is that possible? So here they have in the Bible here that Nehemiah was saying, God, we confess our sins. Why? Because we've broken the commandments. We disobeyed you. We went against the judgments and the statutes. What do you want us to do here found in this word? We disobeyed you. We didn't want to listen to you which revealed their heart that they did not truly love their God. And so, could it be possible that we could mourn also the loss of the Spirit of God in our churches and then blame God while all along we are the ones who have cut off the Holy Spirit because of our disobedience? Could that be possible this morning, beloved? I'd like to suggest this morning it is. And the reason why God has not poured out his spirit as often as as much as he used to is because we have chosen to separate ourselves from God this morning. This morning we're looking at Nehemiah and the reformation that he wants and God wants for us this morning. Look at chapter 2. Let's turn to the next chapter. We're going to stay in Nehemiah and we're going to end in chapter 2. But look at chapter 2, verse 13. After Nehemiah, Nehemiah then journeyed to Jerusalem. He asked permission from the king. And he went to Jerusalem. And as he went to Jerusalem, the Bible says here in 2, says it here in 2 verse 13, what was the first thing that Nehemiah did? Notice the Bible says, And I went out by night. Now follow him. He went out at night. By the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem. Which were, what happened to them? They were what? They were broken down. And the gates thereof were consumed with what? With fire, the Bible says. In other words, he went out at night to survey the real condition of Jerusalem, to see how the Jewish church really was. Yes, he heard the words of how the church was at that time, but he wanted to see with his very own eyes His heart was hurting with pain and anguish of what had happened. And so he had to see with his very own eyes what had happened. So he told the man, went out into the night, and he looked out and he surveyed the walls. And he realized that what was told him was true, that the walls were broken down. And the gates were burned up with fire. And beloved, is that not how the angels today, I believe, survey the true condition of God's remnant church, the Seventh-day Adventist church today? Have not our walls been broken down and our gates been burned up, beloved? Have things not been the same as they once used to be? It's a very sad thing to realize the true condition of God's remnant church today. Right before in all these things going on in this world you see in Libya, in Egypt. Are not things moving quickly, beloved? Do you not see that? Am I the only one seeing prophecy happening so quickly? Are not even the world is coming to me and you? Some of you from the world came to this recently and I was talking to them and they said, this world is crazy. <laughs> this local guy, you never think this guy will even say that. You know, you act, you act all cool and macho. But they, they know one thing. The world is crazy. And do we not know as Seventh-day Adventist Christian that we know last day events and Bible prophecy that something is going on and there's going to be something going on in these last days. And the challenge here today is that God's remnant church, the walls have been broken down and the gates have been burned up. 
It's really sad to see our true condition and learn that the blessings that we once usually have in our remnant churches, I hear the stories, are not here anymore. Have not our walls been broken down and our gates have been burned up? There was a time, beloved, as I read in the history pages of our books, our Adventist church books, where we were once an active, loving, vibrant church where everyone was involved in ministry as we talk today because they loved God with all their heart. But now our walls have been broken down and our gates have been burned up. It brings me a sorrowful heart to see the corruption that has gone on even in our own churches and our leadership that has gone on over and over again and no one having even the courage to stand up for what is right. For our walls have been broken down and our gates have been, broken, have been burned up. We live in a time where our young people are leaving our churches in droves. As I hear, I talk to my friends on the mainland and the different churches and certain areas around the mainland where up to 80% of our young people are leaving the church. In a church, and the average age, you know what the average age of a normal American is? I think it's around 40. You know what the average age of, a, of the average Seventh-day Adventist is today? 60. You know what the average age was of this church when it started off as a movement? Do you know how much it was? Probably 18. Our walls have been broken down and our gates have been burned up. We're living in a time where we're once again worshiping the God of Moloch and our educational institutions by making our children pass through the fire once again and teaching them of evolution in our universities. Beloved, our walls have been broken down and our gates have been burned up, had they not, this morning. This morning, God wants his people to realize their true condition. And as the gates have been, broke, have been burned up and our walls have been broken down, my question is, is there a Nehemiah today that's willing to do something rather than just be so comfortable and letting things go on as they've been doing? Do we not need a revival and a reformation such as never been seen before, beloved? Amen? Have we not paralleled the same time as the old ancient Israel? Are we not doing the same thing? How can we teach evolution in one of our universities, Alaska University, right? How can we sit by in our pew and be so happy and do absolutely nothing about things that are going within our church? Are we not parenting the same evils and disobedience and sins that are done and doing absolutely nothing? We read the stories in the Old Testament of how, how could he do such things and not do nothing about it? How can we sit down and do nothing about what's going on and yet the world is in turmoil and not doing anything about what God wants to do as his remnant people, beloved? I'm talking to myself this morning. But I'm talking to you also. Is it not a time when God's people needs a revival and a reformation in his church, beloved? Amen? Do we not need a revival in my life and your life this morning? Look at the Bible says here in verse 17. What did Nehemiah say to the people the next day? Look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. The Bible says here. Then said I, Unto them, you see the distress that we are in. Sorry, verse uh, 17. It says here, we are in. How Jerusalem lied waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. 
The next day, he stated the distressful situation that was going on inside of the church. And he declared to them, we, declared to them, we must come and we must join hands and we must rebuild Jerusalem together as a family of God. That's what he said. So that the world will stop mocking us and our God. And beloved, I make the same plea to you today. Let us rebuild God's church, beloved. Amen? Let us rebuild his church. Let there be a revival of primitive godliness such as not been seen since apostolic times. Let there be a movement within our church. And beloved, there is a movement. Did you not see it in our church? Did you know that there's a movement that's coming up within the Adventist church on the mainland? Have you been seeing it? And you know it's grassroots. It's not top down, it's bottom up. And then you know it's actually young people. Have you been seeing it? Have you heard of GYC? How many of you heard of GYC? Have you seen this movement of GYC? This movement of Army Bible Camp? By the way, Army Camp is coming to Hawaii this year. Praise God, amen. Have you not seen this movement that God is working out of the common order of things in a way that's contrary to all human planning? Have you not seen that the God is taking the reins into his own hands and is, is finally taking charge and leading his church? If you are sleeping, you're going to miss it. But don't miss the moving and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon his church, beloved. God is moving. God is moving in men's ministry. Praise God. Amen. He gripped them. Oh, this church needs so much more stronger male leadership. Amen. That's the biggest cry here from women. I wish my husband was more spiritual. I wish we had more spiritual leadership in our church that were men. Praise God. Amen. We really need that today. Godly men. Look at verse 18. How did the people respond to Nehemiah's request? Look at verse 18. The Bible says, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which also was good unto me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they, the people, said, Let us rise up and what? Build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work, the Bible says. In other words, they said, let us rise up and build. Beloved, how many of you are willing to rise up and work in order to build up the spirituality of our church once again this morning? I want that. How about you? Amen? In other words, I want you to also notice, the Bible says here that when they said, we're going to rise up and build, the next thing it says here at the end of verse 18 was that, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. In other words, they prepared for the work that they were supposed to do. They didn't just say, okay, we're going to work, and then went to work. That's not what happened. The Bible says here, they say, we're going to rise up and build, and the next thing it says is that we're going to strengthen our hands. In other words, we're going to get strong in the power and the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? So in other words, they, they went home, and they started to pray for a revival. They strengthened their hands first. In other words, they strengthened their spirituality by praying. They went home and they strengthened their spirituality by reading the word. They strengthened their spirituality by looking for how does God reveal that he is love in the word of God. Amen? 
And when they saw that God is love and they studied that God is love and they read about God is love, that love of God transformed and infused to the heart and it transformed the life and they became new creatures in Jesus Christ. And then were they strengthened to rise up and build a church. Beloved, if we want to revive and reformation, we must first go home and we need to pray and we need to read about God's love. Love, amen? amen. First. And then we can unite as a family of God. I want to experience that love in my heart this morning. If that's your desire, let me hear you say amen. Amen? Amen. amen. And that's why you're here this morning. You want to experience that revival. What happened next? Look at verse 19 in your Bibles. The Bible says, But when Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, Jeshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to what? Scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? I want you to notice that in this story, that when the Jewish church had decided that they're going to start a revival and reformation, have a change in their life, that things went from bad to worse. Do you see that? In other words, whenever you decide to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will always suffer what? Persecution. The Bible says all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. In other words, as they decided, they were already allowed the judgments to come down upon them. But when they decided, hey, wait a minute, we realize the true condition of our church, that we are not rich in increase of goods and need of nothing, but we need the presence of God in our lives, in our church. When they finally realized and had a heart repentance of the true condition of God's church, then and only then they realized that they need a revival and reformation, and then Satan got active. Now, if you were Laodicean, and you weren't on fire for God, and you weren't on, had a revival, you didn't have a revival and reformation in your life, and you didn't really love God, would Satan really pick on you? Not really, because he got other people to pick on, right? His main emphasis, emphasis is upon those who love God, who obey God, right? Who live godly in Christ Jesus. Not only talk godly, but live godly, Amen. Those who live godly, godly lives. And then he attacks them. See, as long as Laodicea is Laodicea, Satan will focus on a lot of other things out there. But the moment, see, the reason why there's no persecution among the Seventh-day Adventists in America could be possible because we're not living godly in Christ Jesus this morning, beloved. See, the movement, people think that Sunday law happens, Right? And then we react to the Sunday law. But that's not how prophecy goes. Prophecy goes the other way. Prophecy goes where when there's a revival among God's people and a reformation, then the persecution comes of the national Sunday laws as a reaction to what's happening within the church. And I can tell you right now, there is a movement going on within Avenue Church. And if we are not on board with the movement of the Holy Spirit, and if we call the workings of God the workings of Satan, we commit the unpardonable sin of not allowing God to be revealed among us within our lives. And God wants us to be ready for the power and the moving of the Holy Ghost in your life this morning. I want that. How about you? Amen? God wants that with your life. He wants it with mine. 
In other words, Satan is going to use family, friends, loved ones, and even church members, yes, church members, to try and discourage you. In fact, when Satan sees God working in our church, he's going to inspire people to make fun of you and your work, despise you and what you're doing, and even spread rumors and vicious rumors of what you're trying to do in a church. But there's hope in Jesus Christ, beloved. Amen? Amen. That's found in the next verse. Turn me to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. In spite of all that happened, what did Nehemiah proclaim? Know what the Bible says here. Then answered I them, and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his, what is that word? Servants will arise and what? Build. But we have no portion, no right, no memorial. But you have no portion, no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. He's talking to his enemies. You have no inheritance among Israel. And the first thing Nehemiah proclaimed was, because we are God's servants, we will arise and build. In other words, because we appreciate God, and out of our heart we want to serve him because we love him, then we're going to arise and build. In other words, don't miss the order. We don't arise and build because we know that's our duty. We arise and build because we love that God, because our God, because he loves us so much, beloved. Amen? And he loves you so much this morning. And he's willing to give up everything he has. And he has on the cross of Calvary. He loves you so much. And with that love, that love will burn in your heart. And because of that, you will choose to want to serve him. And because you appreciate him so much, you will then arise and build. And let us begin to arise and build God's church, beloved. Amen? Let us rebuild his church. Let there be a revival among us. Let there be a reformation, a change in our lives. Let God's spirit move freely once again. I want that so much. How about you? Amen? Let it be done away with the playing of going to church, pretending to be spiritual. You know, the worst thing you can do is when you hear a child or your daughter or your son tell you, Dad, why are you, why are you so nice at church? And you're a different person at home. Are not our young people sharp? Amen. Will not our young people be the ones going to finish the work? You know, the postmodern generation, they're very anti-leadership, um, anti-authoritative figure. They're not going to be putting up with playing church. In fact, it's getting harder for adults to play church in this generation. Are you noticing that? The young generation, generation don't put up with that kind of stuff. So they call black is black, white is white. So they see the, the adults coming to church, and they, you know what they're thinking? The one word they're always thinking, I'm always hearing? The H word. <laughs> Hypocrite. That's what they're hearing. That's what they're saying. And so the younger generation of postmodern minds is, is that they're not into authority. They don't believe in blind loyalty, as the older generations believed in. They're not going to be coming to church. They're going to be looking at the, at the, they're looking at the church and say, are oh, these people... Are they for real? Are they transparent? Are they fake? Are they plastic? They put, are they wearing a mask? Or are they who, who they truly say they are? Are you following me? And when finally there's a church that is actually living and is real, guess what's going to happen? The church is going to be on fire and, open, and the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out and the young people are going to flock, flock back into God's church, beloved. Amen? 
But until then, the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the weeds will grow together. But I believe the time is rising where there is a movement that's happening. And I, Nehemiah knew the secret that the only thing that will motivate his workers in the, to work for Jesus within the church, to rebuild Jerusalem, the walls and the gates, was the love of God. That's the only thing he knew. And I too have realized this biblical secret. I know that it is only the love of Christ in your heart that's going to motivate, motivate you to serve God. There's nothing I can say. There's nothing I can do. There's no sermon I could ever preach or Bible study I could ever give that will motivate you to serve God with all your heart. There's only one thing that would do that. And that's the love of God gripping your soul. And that's it. And I pray to God that you will feel and you experience the love of God in your life that you never experienced it. I pray that you will experience it and feel it in your heart and your soul that you know that this is what we need. This is what our church Needs to, needs to happen in this church, in corner church, whatever church you may be at, that our church, I'm talking about the whole body, the whole body worldwide church, that our church needs a heart transformation of God's love infused in every cell of our hearts, beloved. Amen? Every cell. And that love will compel you. The love of Christ, Paul said, the love of Christ compels, constrains me, compels me to serve God. You don't need no one to give you a position. You're going to step forward and say, I feel this is my ministry, I'm going to do it. Because God has called me to. I have a burden and a passion for this. This is what I love, and this is what God needs. His church needs this. His church needs the unity. Do we not need it? Are we not in perilous times today? Do you not see the events and current world events that's going on? Do you not see the condition of our churches? Do you not see the people that are hurting and suffering out here in the communities out there? Do you not see the broken homes, the marriages, the divorced parents, children who are suffering abuse, sexually abused? Do you not see that this world is coming to an end, beloved? We have to go far because I'm talking about a lot of our own homes. And the last message God says to us that God's going to send a message, Elijah, and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children back to the fathers, beloved. Amen? And he's going to start a, re a revival and a reformation, and our church needs this so much. Now realizing that God is, in, is everything and man is nothing, Nehemiah, Nehemiah declared something, and he said this in that last verse in 20. He said, The God of heaven, he will what? Prosper us. So, beloved, when you hear of people who mock us and make fun of us for obeying his word and rebuilding God's remnant church, just remember these words, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. When you hear of people who despise and hate us with envy for the wonderful things that are happening in our churches, don't forget, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. When you hear of people spreading vicious and false rumors about God's church or leaders or even about yourself, don't be discouraged for the God of heaven, he will prosper us. When Satan has thrown everything he has at you and you're thinking of calling it quits with God or with his church, don't you ever forget that the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Amen. And we serve a God that is almighty and all-powerful 
and his word is creative. And this creative power of this word when it said, let there be light, and there was light, this creative power has the same power to speak into your hearts and let there be a new life in you, beloved. Amen? Amen. And that new life will transform you and change you. And this light that reveals the knowledge of God's love, when it shines into your blind eyes and my blind eyes, it reveals this love and it overwhelms me and overwhelms you. And when it overwhelms you and me, there's nothing that we can do but serve such a loving and merciful and kind-hearted God. We serve a loving God, don't we? Do you really believe that? And not by our words, not by our songs, not by our prayers, but by our actions. Not for the sake of only God, but for our people and our churches and our young people. Do we really believe that? Do our young people see that in us? Do they see the love of God, the character of God's love in my life and your life? The reaction I see in the churches, unfortunately, the answer is no. We need a revival, beloved. Amen? I need a revival. Our church needs a revival. We're not ready for what to soon break upon us in an overwhelming surprise. True? We need God's love. The only solution to God's church of Laodicea, I come to the conclusion, is three words. God is love. Our beloved Jerusalem is destroyed, beloved. We need to rebuild it. But in order to rebuild it, we must work together as a family of God for their strength and unity. I praise God for the corner church being with us today, beloved. Amen. Amen, Honoka. Amen. It's a blessing to have them there because there's strength in unity, right? Such a blessing to worship together. And it's a blessing to have them here this morning. As I speak, there is a revival that's sweeping this nation within our beloved church. And as God's spirit is moving, I pray that we won't be so comfortable with our lives that we're going to miss the Savior passing by. This morning, my appeal to you, I'm going to make an appeal after the song, but this morning I want to make an appeal to you that we may desire a revival and reformation. I want that with all my heart. And my plea this morning is that the Savior, or gentle Savior, is not going to pass me by as the Holy Spirit is moving. You know, you would have asked me five years ago, three years ago, two years ago, if Jesus was coming soon, I would say no. Because my understanding of Bible prophecy is that it's not based upon outside external events, it's based upon the revival going on in our church. But you would ask me today, and I've seen it rising, but I've seen that this movement is moving. That God is moving with his Holy Spirit among the Adventist movement to the grassroots. I know that something's going on that I've not seen before. And God is moving and to be sad to be in a church and not be ready as the five foolish virgins who didn't have the holy enough oil in their lamps. This morning, I, I want us to sing this song called Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Number, song number 569. If you could please turn there. <laughs> 